Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome back to the Lights Out Podcast. I'm Miguel Iterate, carrying the flame here. Chris Lytle continues to be off in BKFC land, but of course, I'm joined by the MMA detective, Mike Davis, and we got a return trip to jolly old England here as we visit with Brad Pickett, veteran of the interview, and uh, a guy that uh, we never finished up with, so we're here to finish up, Mike. How you doing, Brad? I'm all good, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Thank you, sir. Brad, how often are you traveling for your gym? I'll give you a little insight. So this is like the next sort of series of fights I got here on my team. So we're at like June, July, 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 July. Now August, August. So uh, yeah, as you see, I'm still. Yeah, I'm busy, busy. It's every busy weekend. Gym. How many pro fighters do you have out of your gym? Uh, I well, I class pro and amateur the same, really, because there's no, in my eyes, there's no difference. As, even as an amateur, you should approach the game professionally. So, all my amateurs are technically professional mindset sort of thing. But um, I think I have on the mat daily forty. But so if you put that together, you probably got about. I have about 50, 60 fighters, I think. That's unusually large. It, it, especially for the UK, yes. Yeah, well, I, I mean, also, it's huge. I have, insane here. I have people at different sort of levels of their career as well. Obviously, amateurs, when they're first starting, are going up to, like, people find the highest level in the UFC. Okay. Yeah, that's a, do you self-manage or do you have other people come in and help? Some people, some people obviously um, have management, but a majority of them is done for me, I guess. So it, it does take up a lot of my time. You know, like it's one of the okay, this is one of the ones. So I manage most people to get into a certain stage, and when they start earning money, they go to a management company. <laughs> that's what normally happens. <laughs> What is your, what is, okay, so sometimes as a gym owner, what they'll do is they'll bring in a manager to kind of keep everything in-house. Like you had said, the love and care and foundation is built with a lot of time and sweat and, and free, you know, work yeah. from that of yourself. And then they get to a certain level and they go to a management company. There's certain gyms that don't even allow that. Yeah, I mean, like, um, end of the day, I the gym will still take 5%, you know, like that's across the board. That's what we're going to do. And for me, it's like, uh, yeah, I have some managers I kind of work with, I guess, that Good. I know that I, I not financially work with, it's just like I know them and I kind of peer some of my guys that way because I have a good relationship with them and I know they can be looked after well, if that makes sense. But some people have their different managements, you know, so at the end of the day, 
I've, I've have managed guys, and I still kind of technically manage people as well. But um, it's it does take up a lot of a lot of my time as well. So sometimes I do like that other people manage fighters because it takes a little bit of my workload off. I mean, messaging promoters all the time. I have to do that all the time as well from a lot of my amateurs. Obviously, they don't have management. They don't need management. That really, that's what stage. They just need the coach is going to help them get their fights and have them progress. It's interesting. Yeah, left hand people go completely in-house. Duke Rufus does it with Sucker Punch. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, American Top Team had their own in-house guy as well. With Did 50 you, fighters. Uh, so team, yeah. they do this. They take 5% of their purse, uh, and uh, you have your own management, or they'll look after you as well. So, like, it's kind of the same here. And like, we always will take our 5%, but I would look after you. At the end of the day, in my fighters, they might, I care for them, if that, if that makes sense. So for me, it's my obligation to make sure I guide them in the right way, where I think a lot of times manager companies just are so cutthroat in the way you're just a, a number, you know, like what can you generate? Can I get you in the UFC? Can you give me... You know, there's no real, no real personal sort of side of things. So I think mo most fighters, some fighters have a good relationship with the management, but very few do. Uh, and most of them could potentially just be managed by a coach if the coach has time to do so. Like, is there a big amateur scene going on in, in England, in London? Like, are there a lot of amateur yeah. fights and stuff? Like, what do we do, smokers in gyms? Uh, no, no. I mean, like, there's a big amateur scene here. Uh, so, like, but obviously, when I, when I was I find there wasn't much of an amateur scene. But now, I, I, most of my amateurs, I like them to have at least 10 amateur fights before turning pro. Uh, and then with the amateur fights, I would like them to be tested. You know, like, I don't care if they're 5-5. Five and five. You know, like, they need to... I, I don't want an amateur who's 10-0. and 0. Well, that'd be good, but it won't be a case of them buying 10 cans. I want them to be tested and battle-tested before the GoPro. Um, yeah, so that's what I try, try and do as well. Yeah, make sure that they're, 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 they're pushed and challenged as an amateur. And also now, also now they have the thing called the IMFs. So yeah, like they have like an amateur world kind of scene where you can actually compete for your country as an amateur for go to Bahrain fight in there so a big thing with the IMFs you know like there's big like organizations you know sort of like where they can get some international experience as well <laughs> that's wild so you go from cage rage you had a pretty extensive career in cage rage obviously very decorated you finally make it to the WEC how does that happen who makes the phone call well I knew Sean Shelby quite a bit just from obviously calling in Mike Brown, being there for his fights, started speaking to them. So I, I was chatting. So they, they, Mike Brown was always in, in Sean Shelby's ear about me. And uh, they were very interested. I, I think before I signed with the WC, I had, uh, I was like eight, 19 and four. So I, I had a quite, I was quite established as a fighter. I, I was a lot of fights. So, um, uh, their problem was it, it, the 
back in those days, it was, it was quite high because they weren't like the UFC, the WC, but they had budgets as well. So then to bring international by, uh, overseas, they had to get like visas and stuff like that. And that cost quite a lot of money for a UK guy to come over and, and fight for them. It's much easier and cheaper than to get someone from Brazil or, or in America in-house. Um, but I remember that they, they, all this sort of chat, there was a lot, a lot of chats about it happening. And then they phoned me once out of the blue and said, hey, look, will you take a, a, a last-minute fight against um, Tomasio Page? Uh, and I said, hell yeah, of course you will. Um, uh, so um, I accepted that fight, but then they tried to get the visa sort on time, and that couldn't happen. Uh, so that fight never happened in the WEC. Uh, I did fight him later on in the UFC, but that, I was meant to fight him in the WC, back in WC debut. That never happened. Um, but then I knew they were really interested and they will get my visa sorted out. And then I uh, ended up uh, signing with them and um, making my debut in uh, Palms in Vegas against Kyle Diaz. That's right, Kyle Diaz. Now, that fight took place the summer 19, 2009. It was WEC 45. Man, you gave everybody a taste of just... You guys stood in front of each other throwing power punches. You were not afraid to test your chin at all at this point. Now, at any point, to be honest. <laughs> like, uh, that was always my sort of fine style. Um, I wasn't ever really afraid to get in here, and that, that, that helped my style. I could get in someone's face and throw punches, and I, I was quite tough. I could take a punch. And for me, that's that's a very good as, as, um asset you know like to be able to have if, you, if you're not worried about getting hit you know you're fine you know um and that's also made me having a quite an exciting sort of fighting style because i'll just scare the book and start throwing bombs so miguel this guy goes from having lots of issues with wrestlers a kind of a questionable ground game makes his wec debut and wins in the second round with a peruvian necktie yeah that's, that's quite it's quite strange for me obviously I've known obviously it's more of a striker sort of thing uh, but obviously I've worked a lot on my ground game uh, my wrestling and all that sort of stuff you know, I, I just always wanted to evolve as a fighter um, it was quite a rare submission I, I learned that off Mike Brown you know like I remember learning that off Mike Brown uh, and I, I just kind of like it was just there it was just, I'm like, I'll get, give this a go. And, and that's kind of, kind of the type of fight I was. Always trying to make something happen, you know, like something different. I remember, though, as well, because back in those days, they, they had fight the night, they had submission of the night, and they had a knockout of the night. That's how it got. Now they have performance tonight. Now, but then it was standard. So if you got any submission, like a rear naked choke, and you win, uh, I mean, you win by rear naked choke. If no one else wins by submission, you're going to get the bonus by default because no one else wins. Right? Sure. So, so I remember, I'm like, I fought quite early on on, on, in, on in that card. You know, uh, um, uh, the top of the bill was Cerrone versus Radcliffe, right? But I remember, so I won by quite a rare submission. But normally these bonuses always tend to go to like the top of the card kind of thing. I always found that that like, even the UFC, like people hit the bonuses normally on the main card and that sort of stuff. But but I I, I remember uh, 
I mean, I, I got here. I, I was the second part of my, and then there's loads of other people on this, like TKOs, a decision, decision, split decision, decision, KOs, and then it was KO again. And it comes to like the last fight of the night, which was Donald Swanee versus Ratcliffe. I'm like, if no submission happens here, I'm going to win the 10 grand by default. And I, back in then, the, 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 the um, submission, uh, fighting line that was just 10 grand. It, obviously, UFC was a lot more, but to me, 10 grand was crazy Huge. money. Huge. When I, like, I was on like two and two. You know, like that was crazy money. So for me, I'm like getting so, I remember sitting case side, just getting so, 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 I'm getting so excited. I got to the main guy, I'm, I mean, I was so nervous, I actually felt nauseous, you know, like, what's going to happen in this fight? And I remember Radcliffe and Sroni, you know Donald Sroni, like, oh, he was straight. a wizard on the floor, but he was a wizard on the floor. Yeah. And, I, and these two were just going at it. And there was like, at one point, I think Donald Sroni had his back, had him in a roughly rear naked choke, but somehow turned it into a knee bar and I'm like, oh my days, what is going on here? It's like, look like Spaghetti Junction. And I, I, that's where I started feeling sick. Because like, I think it's Cowboys and he pulls up some crazy submission out. I'm going to lose my money, 100%. So like, it was a tough one for me to watch. But then Donald Swanee actually does get a submission. But it was just a really naked choke. But it's still a submission. For me, not having no competition from winning this, winning this now what competition. And I remember feeling so sick you know like am I going to get this money I'm not getting this money and like my brother was going oh of course you've got to prove your necktie it's like such a rare submission you should get that by mate I don't know it's the main event and it was a crazy fight and I, then I remember going backstage and uh, and uh, Sean Shepard goes don't worry man you got it and I was relieved but it was a nerve wracking ride 100% watching the rest of the fighters on that card you know well that, that first round is like absolutely insane. Like it was a shootout where both you guys were testing each other's chin. Like it, yeah. You said it was the second fight of the night. That absolutely should have been towards the end of the card, based on the performance from both of you guys. I mean, I mean, to be honest, most of my fights, yeah. I was in kind of barn bones. In the WC, it's like uh, I had that fight against him, and then uh, my next fight, obviously, was against Demetrius Johnson. Um, in the you see the fight after that against Scott Jorgensen uh, was another crazy fight. Then fight of the year. Against, uh, the fight after that against Ivan Menjivar. So I was in good fights. You know, like <laughs> they were very they were good fights to watch. You know, so I, let's I, talk about it, let's talk about Demetrius Johnson. April twenty fourth, two thousand ten, WEC forty eight. Demetrius, one of the greatest. 125-pound fighters ever to live based on the totality of his career and still pushing forward. Um, were there any concerns going into that fight? There's always a Matt Hume factor, obviously. Um, well, at, at the time, I was 20 and 4, I believe. And he was 14 and 0 or something like that, right? Or 13 and 0 or something like that. I, I remember seeing a little bit of footage of him, him doing some sort of Jumping, spinning, scissor kick, knocking some guy out. Brock, Brock James, uh, sorry, Jesse Brock or something like that. Knocked a guy out. And I was like, oh, this guy's pretty speed and athletic. And I'm like, 
But I'm like, whatever. I'm Brad Pickett kind of thing. I'm like, whatever. It's like young, some young kid. I know there's a lot of hype for him being from Matt Hume's camp and there's a lot of hype. But I just went into the fight. And, and to be honest, I just fought the fight how I, w- I would have fought. You know, like, came forward, throwing bombs. He was very, very quick. I mean, like, he's always had that speed. Um, and without sounding super cliche, you beat speed with timing. And my timing was so on point that night. When he when I timed him, him rushing in really quickly, I just changed my level, take him down. I, I, I think I took him down like 10 times in that one fight. Um, when you were a wrestler, fight, wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he, I mean, like, yeah. I, you, you, yeah, MMA is MMA. It's a lot different, right? But I remember, like, winning the first round quite comfortably with loads of takedowns. Uh, second round, saying that. I remember at the end of the second round, uh, I picked him up uh, against the cage and I properly slammed him. And as I hit the, he hit the ground, my shoulder was in his chest and I felt him wind. He went kind of went a little limp and really winded him. And then I just easily got him out and I was throwing punches trying to finish the fight at the end of the second round. Um, he survived. He went back to my corner. Uh, in my head, two rounds up, easy. Yeah, same. As, yeah. I remember going out in the third round and I went to throw a jab and I'm like, whoa, what's man, my shoulder? Like, if, if I thought I might, oh, I think I broke my foot. I didn't feel nothing in, in the corner, but when I went to spike the second round, I started throwing a jab and I was getting a lot of pain in my shoulder. Uh, I thought I, I thought I might have broke my collarbone or something. So I remember fighting that third round, kind of, but then when any of the action happened, I kind of just would forget about my shoulder and just, just fight instinctively. Uh, but st- he again still won that round and I remember at the end of the fight uh, Herb Dean was that side of me and I kind of knew I won and I went Herb just raise this hand not this hand because if he raised his hand I would have been in trouble I was in a lot of pain uh, and normally adrenaline takes over you don't really feel pain in within a, a fight for me to feel the pain within the fight I'm like oh man it's bad and I remember going to the hospital after I actually went to the hospital with Demetrius as well. I think he dislocated his farm, but I actually separated my shoulder, and uh, yeah, that's what it was. I, I didn't dislocate my shoulder. I, I didn't, but me, me slamming my shoulder popped out socket and went back in. So I just I, I separated my shoulder and I did done uh, some damage there. But yeah, so it wasn't your collarbone. No, it was. It's was actually my my uh, labrum or whatever it was, or uh, rotator cuff. Whatever it's in the, the, up there here, whatever it is. That because my shoulder came out and went back in, yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was, so, But for me, I remember like, I remember my brand obviously was. Uh, I, I don't know. It was my. I, I think. I think my brand. My brand was on that card as well. I think. Um, I can't remember who my brand was fighting. I think my brown. Or was he just calling me? Uh, yeah, my brown fought Manny Gambari. That was it on that card. Um, and I remember backstage, Chad Mendes and Uriah Faber said, oh, well, where did, where did Pickett wrestle? And my brother goes, he's never wrestled. He's just literally just done MMA. And I'm like, really? He's, yeah, because, yeah, he's, he's from England. He's never wrestled. So, like, yeah, so I remember them all thinking, oh, shit, he's got to go good wrestling. Because, I, yeah, I really completely out-wrestled. Uh, the there's, there's no way. There's absolutely... is. We love Matt Hume on his podcast. We've dropped his name plenty of times. 
there's absolutely no way they had thought that you would out-wrestle Demetrius Johnson. I doubt they even worked on it. Well, not at all, because, like, they might never really saw... They probably didn't get a chance to see much of my wrestling. You know, like, uh, my car DS fight, there wasn't much. We just threw stuff around and some. Uh, so yeah, yeah, probably not really got to see much of my wrestling, yeah. And, and obviously, you find an English guy, you're not gonna think he's got any good wrestling, so you're not really worried about that, you know. What I mean, now your country is definitely not known for that, that's for sure. No, no far from that. No, let me ask you about DJ. You said he was fast and stuff. Did you had was there a clue that he would go on to be like you know, an unstoppable champion kind of thing, or and and also. Did he feel a little small? Because he always kind of operated better at 125, and, and maybe that's, you know, speed, but he was also compact. Describe him a little bit, because he's a special fighter. He was, when I, when I, it's weird. It's like, obviously, when I fought him, it was just a, an opponent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there wasn't much I, of footage I could see about him. So, like, I, I know there's a lot of hype around him. Uh, um, but at the end of the day, my, my job was to beat a young prospect. I'm like, fine. You know, I'm, I believed in myself and I thought, you know, whatever. But when I fought him, it was, he was very, very quick. You know, that, that's one thing that was just apparent. I think my size helped me a little bit, you know, just to be able to hold it down a bit. It was hard to hold down. And I even remember the commentary, Joe Rogan was commentating, and he, was, he would not shut up about Demetrius Johnson's speed. You know, like it, it be honest, it annoyed me a little bit. I'm like, you chat so much about Demetrius Johnson here, and I'm smashing him. You know, like, give me some props. Uh, you know, but he, he didn't. I, I found it quite annoying, but uh, but I kind of like I felt that he was, he was a very yeah, a lot of promise. I, I, I think I was his first loss. I think obviously he learned a lot from that loss and it paved a way for who he is today. Because I remember seeing him fighting other people within the WEC and looking really good, doing really well. Uh, yeah, and he was unbeaten until he fought Dominic Cruz. And that was at 135, and then he went down, obviously, to 125. Yeah. His ability to move in small spaces, I think, is was shocking. And- He's very intelligent. He's a very intelligent fighter, you know. At this point, Demetrius also had a had a, I think he had a job at like Home Depot or something like that. I know it was it was like a Walmart type job. And right after this fight, I believe he he started training full time. Um, yeah, I, but, I, think, I think I've I, I made him like realize he needs to get better in a lot of areas. Yeah, and you know he was a guy known for his cardio, and he hit a cardio wall in this bout. Because I, I wrestled him, you know. Yeah, yeah which like, is insane. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah ten a- times took him down in one fight. Yeah, but yeah, it's one of those ones where, yeah, but saying I, I could have a go at myself. I'll do it now ten times. That means he got up ten times. <laughs> like, so where's my control? But he, he was so hard to control. He was very quick, nimble, uh, and also like I couldn't give him any space. If I side, I didn't want to just play and pray either so if like, every time I try and create some space to throw a punch to him he's like boom he's like oh he's back up you know like you no, know, yeah so it's crazy yeah it was, yeah, like trying, like, it was like trying to hold him to a fish <laughs> good luck yeah good luck wow 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 August 18 2010 you win fight of the night but in my opinion this is a fight of the year candidate 
Uh, WEC 50, Scott Jorgensen. Jorgensen is uh, as tough as nails. He's big for the weight class, has a lot of power, high-end wrestler. Did you expect this type of fight going into it? 100%. Yeah, I, I, I watched Scott Jorgensen. And to be honest, like, I, I, I thought I'm going to batter him. You know, I, in my head, I'm like, I would have to worry for him is him trying to out-wrestle me. No, that's the only thing I was worried about. He, he is a very good wrestler. He had a very good single leg, head outside single, and that sort of stuff. Uh, but I'm not on the feet, you know, like I should be able to beat him up a little bit. And that's why, I mean, like it was a bit of a back and forth sort of fight. I, and he did, him to win that fight was a few little wrestling exchanges that he won, you know. Uh, that's about it. It was it's still a very close fight in my eyes. Uh, but he did win it from just those little, little wrestling exchanges he got about. You thought he won? It was close, you know. I mean, like I haven't seen that fight for years. It was. It was a split decision. No, it was you. You know, here going into this, going into the third round, both corners told you guys, if you win this round, you win the fight. So both corners had, were on the same page. Okay. And I know you were on an eight fight win streak. The first round pace was just bonkers with how fast it was. It was a test of cardio. And you actually won 30-27 on all three judges' cards. What, what do you mean? It was 30-27. I won it on all judges' cards. But how did yes. I lose <laughs> Oh, shit. You lost. I apologize, dude. I'm looking at this thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm doing No, 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 no. He won 30-27. Yeah, no. We're going to reverse it, Brad. <laughs> that's, that's what we're calling. That's it. That's it. You told me I won. That's right. Nice. But but going into that third round, both corners were saying you win this round, you win the fight. He won yeah. 30 27, but yeah, for me, I mean, I it was a close fight, and I say it's just little, little wrestling exchanges that I believe that pop made, made him won, won, won those rounds, you know. It was close, I mean, like we we batted each other on the feet, but it was just like one, I say for me. If you've got the better wrestling within a fight, it's always good to fall back on, you know, like in those close sort of rounds on the feet when you're hitting each other, if you just get one one takedown here and there, it's valuable. And it was showed, it showed me in this fight as well. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I remember one, there was one time, this is quite a funny thing, if you watch the fight back, there was one time we were in an exchange and I thought he was going to go for a shot, right? So he went down and I sprawled. Um, uh, but he wasn't shooting. He was like doing a face shot, and I sprawled. As I sprawled, my mouthpiece fell out. Right? Yes. And I'm like, oh, my mouthpiece is on the floor. And I and I'm, I was picking up my mouthpiece, and I'm trying to stand up, trying to put it back in. Why he's trying to punch me in the face? And I'm like, I started running back to my the corner, running back, trying to put my mouthpiece in. And I put my mouthpiece in when I got to the, got to the cage. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? You know, where I'm like, sure, I should just concentrate on the fight. But I was like, oh, I'm happy to hell. And like, was, uh, I was actually starting laughing to myself in the fight. I'm like, what am I even thinking? Trying to put a mouthpiece in while the fight's fighting. You know, it's quite funny. Did, did you have a facial fracture in this fight? Nah, nah, I don't, nah, I don't break anything. I'm fine. My face is always a mess. But uh, I, I think I've broken a, broken a bone once in my life. And that was my arm. So your mouthpiece came out in rounds one and two. What was what was the issue with it? The shit one, I guess. And also, because I got, I said I'm breaking I broke my nose when I was younger playing basketball. 
But if, if I do this, watch. Yeah. I can't breathe out my nose. So I have to breathe, I breathe from my mouth quite a lot. So with breathing from my mouth, um, I leave my mouth open. So if I get hit sometimes, my mouthpiece just flies up. <laughs> yeah. It was this day and age, I probably should get my nose sorted out, right? But I never did. Yeah. But I had no. cardio as well with no breathing. It's like wearing one of those masks. Do you have the CPAP machine? What's that? Do you wear the machine at night? No. But I was saying, so I don't need one. My nose is the same thing. Oh, wow. So you're snoring all night, huh? No, I don't snore. I, I said, well, huh. I, I said, apparently I sound a bit like Darth Vader. What did I say? <laughs> I don't actually snore. I just sound, I, mean, I just do some weird breathing because I can't breathe from my nose. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, to close out the year, December 16, 2010, WEC 53, they throw you against an absolute legend in a 145-pound weight class. Obviously, this is a 35 uh, against Ivan Menjavar. Yeah. He's going somebody that fight, that's an absolute legend. Yeah, Going into that fight, I was kind of pretty nervous because this guy had been around for a long time. I remember him like being one of the top guys in the world at 145 pounds, right? Now he's he used to fight at 170. He fought George St. Pierre at 170. Now he moved yeah. down to uh, uh, 135. So I'm thinking, oh my days. So, like, and like, he had so, I mean, like, we, I, I do not get how he was younger than me, you know? Yeah. I, to this day, I have no clue because he, for my, my age, he'd been around forever, you know? But he was, when I, when, when the copy starts coming out, he's younger than me. I'm like, what? How's that even possible? You know? Because, uh, but, he, he, he was a very experienced fighter. He was, I was 20 and five, and he was 21 and seven. So, a very similar yeah. sort of experience record. So, it was like, uh, and it was a very good fight, you know. I had to be smart within this fight. It was one of those ones where we, yeah, again, there's all my fights, we started rocking, sucking robots, fighting back and forth. And he got to the stage where I was hitting him with a lot of shots, and he was just eating them. And I'm like, oh my god! Yeah. I was getting myself, I was tiring myself out. Uh, I can't remember how the how I was scoring completely. When I don't know if I won the, I think I won the first round. Then I think he might have won the second round, or it was close. So we got into the third and final round. And I'm like, I need to win this round. But then also, I thought to myself, I need to change my tactics a little bit. I need to stop trying to hit him so hard and just outbox him and hit him. So what I started did in the third round, I remember mm-hmm. clear as day. I'm like, I'm just going to start hitting him hit, move, hit, move, and not throw as hard. And with doing so, I ended up dropping him because he just walked into a shot as I threw and I actually dropped him. I'm like, yeah, so it's good. But also doing a lot of research going into the fight, I knew he liked watching, doing like spinning back fists and stuff like that. So I was very aware of that. So every time he went for a spinning back fist, I just changed my level and took him down as well. So that was one thing that helped me score throughout that he was at Jackson MMA for that bout, and I didn't see Mike Brown in your corner, which is somebody that uh, tends to be a mainstay. Yeah, I, I believe he, he was fighting the week before, the week after, on a. Uh, I can't remember who was fighting, but he had a fight. He was preparing for. Yeah, he's somebody that you feel very comfortable having in your corner. He's, he's my best friend, you know, best friend and. The best coach I've ever had, and he's now in my in my eyes the best coach you've ever met. I, I definitely, he absolutely needs undervalued as a coach, for sure. Hundred percent. 
I don't he's think he gets the respect he deserves. Yeah, yeah I, I think humble. that's his problem. Yeah, he doesn't have a, a PR team around him. Yeah, yeah, no. for sure. So obviously, you got you get wobbled pretty bad in the second round, and you push through. Yeah, um, definitely. I won the first round. He won the second round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't was used to seeing uh, you having some some wobbly legs. No, no, mate. Uh, I can't remember what hit me with, but he, he dazed me. And I, me- I remember going back in the corner, and the satellite zone for a takedown. I just started throwing bombs back. <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah. So you get the call to the UFC, Joe Silva, obviously, um, the matchmaker at the time. No, and no, it was, it was Sean Shelby. So it was, was it Shelby? Was, was, was it right at the switch? No, because the UFC and the WC were the same organization. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were owned by ZUFA, um, but the WC was for the smaller weight classes, like 145 pounds, 155 pounds and below, and then UFC was above. So, but I remember Dana White loving, always loving and raving about the, the fights in the WEC. So they said he wants to bring those weight classes into the UFC. So for me, I was fighting the same people. I was fighting exactly the same people, but the, just the things, the only thing that changed was, was the, ne- the, the name on my gloves. You know, that's the only things that changed. Um, it was the same people. I dealt with the same people as in like a matchmaker with Shung Shelby, same everything. The only thing that changed was the the name on my on my gloves. So I, I got a question for you. Let, let me ask you. You know the WEC, obviously. You know you were on WEC fifty and stuff like that. And by then, you know they were definitely the, the second show. But when you jumped to the UFC, did you feel like it was a a jump to the big show, or or did the WEC prepare you well mean, for that? No, I mean. Depends what you, you're going on about. The only thing I say, the only thing that would change was the name on my gloves. Backstage was run by the same people. Bert Watson was there. We were rolling. He'd done both shows. It's the same everything. Like the weigh-ins? Like, you know, was the UFC doing their big show weigh-ins and stuff? Like, I mean, was the thing, it? The, thing, yeah, the only thing that was, was different was the eyes on me was more. Yeah, there's more people knew. And also, to be honest, one of the things that really helped me out it was the change was explain to someone why they didn't find the UFC. Why didn't you find the UFC? I'll be like, well, I don't find the UFC. I, I fight for a show called the WEC. It was owned by Zufa, which owns the UFC. Because uh, the UFC don't have my weight classes. They, so they have us fighting the WEC. Uh, and then me trying to explain that to everyone who goes, why didn't you find the UFC? I'm oh, at. I it just got so tedious. My name goes. Was, it was easy. Now I find the UFC easy. End of. So it made my life a lot easier explaining it to people. What was the pay different? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I, I, I hit three uh, bonuses in four fights in the WC, and that's thirty grand, right? That's that, uh, uh, that's thirty grand. So you get ten grand for each bonus. I go to the UFC, my first fight in the UFC, I hit a bonus, got 70 grand for that bonus. So, like, big difference with, with, with bonuses, you know? Did uh, Stefan Bonner's commentary ever offend you? No, I like Stefan. No, no one's, no one's, uh, no one's commentary has ever really offended me. Uh, part of what, obviously, when I fought Demetrius Johnson, Joe Silver annoyed me, not Joe Silver, sorry, 
um, Joe Rogan annoyed me because the audience he wouldn't shut up about Demetrius Johnson. And I'm thinking, look, mate, I'm smashing him. Give me some credit. You know, that's the only one kind of really annoyed me a little bit. All right, just so for the context, here in the United States, we obviously the world is filled with cultures. The gypsy culture in Europe is something that's very prevalent. We we have gypsies here in the United States, but they're not very prevalent. Yeah. And sometimes there's words associated with cultures that we're not aware are offensive. And Stefan Bonner was referring to you as one of them with the gypsy culture. Yeah. So it didn't offend okay. you at all. No, because it, it didn't mean it in an offensive way. Like, it's okay. like, so people can say things, you know, freedom of speech. It's up to me if I want to find it offensive or not. You know, like, like, and for me, it's like he's doing his job. I'm not a gypsy, by the way, you know. And yeah, it, it doesn't bother me that he thought I was. Who cares? You know, like, like I'm not gonna. I don't get easily offended. You know, like it all depends on the contents. If he was like, oh, this guy's a damn gypsy or what, you know, and then he's been trying to be offensive, then that's different. But he's just tried to, so he was. It, it didn't mean it any other way. So it didn't offend me one bit. He was he was dropping the p word, which I was told is like incredible. Yeah. So okay, I wasn't sure if I could say it or not. That's what he now, was saying. Yeah. Well, okay. Same thing, because obviously a lot of people associate my character from from Brad Pitt from Snatch. You know, okay. who was a pikey, a traveler, which they call pikeys. You know. So yeah, but nowadays people get offended by. You can't yeah. say anything nowadays without someone getting offended. You, you call someone <laughs> black, you call someone white, you call, you call someone, oh, he's Indian. No, he, what? Can't say he's Indian. Oh, what do you mean? He's from India. Well, you know, it's like he's always, someone gets offended by everything yeah. nowadays. It's just like, you know, you know, there, there's the woman over there. Oh, it's not a woman, is it? What is it? A man? No, it's not a man. What, what is it? Oh, he identifies himself as a pineapple. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's like nowadays, it's just like people, People get fed by Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've actually heard Carlisle refer to you as Pikey too, like in a loving way. Like Carlo Diaz. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like but, you never, but, but, never I don't know if you'd like to swear on this or not, but you you could call someone ah, oh, you asshole. And you know, like call me an asshole and, and be fine. But you go, you asshole. It's like it's how you say things, you know, like and the yeah. meaning how you using them. To the, and indeed, again, it's up to me if I want to find it offensive or not. You know? I, I'm pretty pro-free speech as well. Like to, to like yeah, mentally ill, pro-free speech. Whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I am pro-free speech, but also depending on what you want to say. Like, well, there should so, be consequences so, for it. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, for me, it's like, if I've got nothing nice to say, I won't say it. Like, well, if I was like, oh, I really hate my shirt. It looks disgusting. I'm not. No, I don't, by the way. But if I did, I'm not gonna go. Oh, by the way, Mike. Yeah, you look good. I hate your shirt. Why would I even say that? You know, like oh, right, right, right. If I got, if I got, if I got nothing nice to say, I wouldn't just say it. You know, it's like that's. I've always pride myself on that. And like, you know, I don't want to be a negative person and bring up anyone's flaws and stuff like that. Oh, you're, 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 you know, whatever that. Like. Different as a coach, because obviously I've got to bring up their flaws in, within their game. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It would be nice to say, don't say it. So your only fight in 2011 was November 5th, 2011, obviously. That's your UFC yeah. debut 
at 138. You're the co-main event against a guy that's 28-1-1, Henan Barrow, the yeah. legend. Hall of Fame. I mean, first ballot Hall of Famer when that time comes, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was out for quite a bit because I uh, suffered a bad... I was supposed to make my uh, uh, UFC debut against Miguel Torres. I um, I herniated my disc in my back, getting ready for Ooh. that fight. Uh, so that's what that's why you saw I was out for some time. I did get to fight Miguel Torres. Uh, Demetrius Johnson took my place. Uh, he beat Demetrius. Uh, he beat uh, Miguel Torres, and then he got a title shot. That's what I thought I would have done. I was gutted that I didn't get a chance to do that. So I ended up not fighting that fight. Ended up fighting Helen Burrell. Uh, in my UFC debut, um, yeah, yeah. I, for me, I thought he was more of a grappler, you know. So I, I didn't take him down. There was a few times within the fight I could have took him down. I, I just stood there and traded with him, and then it was again, it was a bit of a mental fight, like all my fights were to start with. And then he hit me with a knee at the middle, dropped me. Look, I tried to recover, turned, gave him my back, and then he even they could choke him, choke me. But, and then he went and had a tile shot. So these sort of fights here where I kept on like just falling over at the final hurdle to get a tile shot at the weight class, which was quite, quite hard for me to, yeah. Were, wow. were, I was going to ask you, were they talking to you about a title yeah. picture? I mean, when you got Renan Burrell 28-1 and Miguel Torres, whose record was probably 35-1, you know? It's you're, cream you're, of you're, crap. You're... you're, you're facing that one of the top three guys that they've got, you know, so you have to be in the title picture. It had to be like, did you feel like a B-side on those or, or, or did you feel like you had a shot? Like, how'd they make you feel? No, because I honestly, I thought I would smash my girl Torres, you know. How Demetrius Johnson beat him is exactly how I would have beat him, right? And when he fought Demetrius Johnson, he was 39-3. and three, you know? Did you so, think Miguel lost that fight? Yeah. Yeah, Did you? I, just, I, I mean, I just to my knowledge, I have to watch him again. I, I bet he got out wrestled, you know. Just yeah, again, out wrestled, you know. Okay, uh, fair enough. Which I thought I could do, I could out wrestle him, and then also I felt I had more punching power and a bit bigger than Demetrius Johnson is. So I felt it would have been a good fight, but I believe I would have won that fight, right? It's cool. Uh, um, yeah, so. And I would have beat him, then I, I, would, I would have had a title shot. But I didn't. Demetrius Johnson took my place, uh, and he beat him, and then he got a title shot off that. You know? So, head on Burrell, lands a knee, um, it goes to the ground, you lose by rear naked choke. Um, that's something that we as a viewing audience aren't used to seeing. No, yeah. Yeah, it sucked. It sucked. You know, and it's your only fight of the year. Yeah, sucked ass. And also my UFC debut. In, in my in my hometown, sucked ass. Yeah. How are you making ends meet at this point? What are you doing for work? And I was kind of, I was quite good with my, my money that I did earn. Um, I don't know. I, I was quite good at investing back in myself. Uh, about I was working, doing PTs, and that sort of stuff. And I was quite good not you know spending too much money. You know. To do a lot of private private training, yeah, okay, yeah, but I, I was just like done well with what money I had. I, I knew I had, you know, I, I knew also what money I earned within the UFC. 
I knew one going to last forever, so I had to be smart with my money, you know. So your next bout is with TriStar standout Eves Yobin, who is, dude, that's another underrated fighter at that weight class as well. Incredibly exciting. The next fight is actually uh, in Sweden. Demacio Page. Shit, God damn it. Dude, let me tell you. Okay, hold up. Brad, It's I got up at 6 o'clock for this. You need to do something about this time change. Sorry. It's your it's fault. My fault. I get it. Yes, I get it. It's your fault. But if you want, we can switch them around. We can say we thought I thought it thing right. first. But Please. I, I fought Demacio Page. And that's what I said. That was someone I was meant to fight. I was meant oh, to fight Jackson. Demacio Page. Yeah, Demacio Page uh, was training with Jackson Wink. And yeah, it's I, your... I, I was meant to fight uh, Demacio Page. And I say, well, I was meant to make my WC debut, but that never happened. Uh, um, and then I, yeah, I fought him. Um, and I, I mean, I just felt good, you know. Like he, he's normally good when he can bully someone. If I mean, he, he was a bit of a bully fire. He was very aggressive and bullying, getting someone's head and stuff like that. And I'm like, there's no chance he can bully me or get my head. I'm not scared of no one. If that makes sense. And I stood my ground. He came out hard in the first round. I stood my ground. I'm like, yeah, you're gonna fade, my friend. And and he and he did. He faded when he couldn't bully me as such. I'm like. Ah, oh, now it's my turn. And uh, then I just knew, knew after I withstand that first kind of little surge by him, uh, I knew that it's just only been one way after that. Yeah. So you finished now, Demacio Page in the second round. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let me. So you're starting to fight now in Europe. They're they're sending you over to Europe. You said Sweden, Sweden. Yeah. Did you, and you fought in London too before that. Yeah. How'd that feel? Because, like, I know that you spent time in the States and stuff, but that's less, you know, transition time, you know, the time change and thing all suits you better than your opponent. Is Was that any advantage, or did you feel like a little bit of hometown cooking was finally coming your way? Um, me, the only advantage is for me, really, was just tax. So, you know, I mean, like, I didn't have to pay the 30% tax when I fought in America, you know. Um, so that, that helped, helped me out. So, uh, I know you mean you don't get no advantage. Me, I, I had quite a good fan following no matter where I fought, even in America. I felt like my fighting style attracted fans, so I, I had a good little crowd no matter where I went. And how, how, I, how I kind of conducted myself, you know, a lot of people liked me as a person, and, and two. I enjoyed the way I fought. So, yeah. So I always kind of, I wasn't, I didn't think I had a home advantage anywhere really, part, even apart from when I was in England, obviously. You're a huge ticket seller too, though. Yeah. In my, in my country, you know, I guess I did. Yeah. I, did people travel? Did travel well? Yeah. Did your fans? Yeah. Yeah. People did. You know, no, I was not like a Conor McGregor sort of thing where he brings the whole country with him. But I, <laughs> I did have people, I did have people don't watch me. Yeah, you, so That's you fought excellent. in Vegas and ran into like you know, blokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, English people who travel to watch fights. Yeah, of course. Has wrestling improved in your country? The the skill level based on thousand percent, like my, the UFC my, my, fan my, level. Yeah, my 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 team uh, now. Our, our coach. I will give you a little tour of my gym if you want, but uh, uh, a very wrestling based you know MMA wrestling which in my eyes is completely different 
wrestling in this country still sucks. Like, but MMA wrestling is completely different to wrestling because in wrestling, you don't have a wall for one, never wrestle against a wall. Two, you have a completely different stance where you're a bit lower down. When in an MMA fight, you're higher up. You have to do, it's completely different. That's why the Demetrius Johnson, I outwrestled him I outwrestled him easily. But if I had a wrestling match with him, he would smoke me. Completely yeah. different. Completely different. So MMA wrestling and wrestling could be different. And we have now in this country, uh, especially in my team, we have, we have very good MMA wrestling. So your country imports, like you've got several Brazilians living in your country now. Why don't you guys ever import high-end wrestlers? Oh, more to be honest, I don't need one in my gym, really. Because in my eyes, I'm a high-level MMA wrestler. And unless you want to learn, yeah. wanna learn wrestling, we have a lot of good wrestlers here, as in like Greco Roman, you know, you have a lot of Russians, Chechens, they come over here and wrestle. We have a lot of uh, Eastern Europeans, like Romanians, you know, like Dagestani, you know, they're all good at wrestling, very good at wrestling. They, they can compete with Americans on wrestling, but it's different. And then they wrestling is different. So, you know, for me, it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a wrestler or do you want to be an MMA fighter? If you want to be a wrestler, we're not the place for you, go elsewhere. You want to do MMA? You want to have wrestling for MMA? Come here. This is what you need to do. You know, it's completely different. And so the same with jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, you want to learn gi? Do that. If you want to learn no gi, go to planet. You want to do MMA jiu-jitsu? Do MMA. MMA is its own sport. Hey, you know, some of the American gyms, like Next Generation, Chris Brennan's gym out there, um, making some big waves. Wolf Slayer, yourself. You, there's a lot happening in the United Kingdom right now, MMA wise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're doing well. You know, we've got a lot of, lot of guys fighting in the UFC now and doing well within the UFC. Right, right. So, TriStar standout Eves Jobin is your next opponent. You keep running into just the cream of the crap, as Miguel had pointed out earlier. Yeah, no, it, it was a very good, tough strike. I remember being very worried. Um, fighting him, you know, like, oh my god, he's very tricky strike again, very athletic, throws loads of spinning moves. Um, I remember going into that fight, he's technical I, I, too. I, I need to get this guy down, you know, like he's dangerous on the feet. Uh, and I remember going in for a shot and him spalling and defending it against the cage, a bit of a scramble. Then we came back out in the open. Then I'm like, he thinks I'm gonna shoot, so I pretended to go for a shot, and then I came back up with an uppercut. And then uh, that was all she wrote. It landed like pretty sweet. You know, usually when two high-end strikers meet, there's a feeling out process. That was not the case in this battle. Well, well, that's not a case in any of my fights. No. Was no. there something that you saw that led you, like that gave you confidence because you went right no, out? No, that that's no matter who you are. I ask you why I'm saying it's not. Is even if you want to do a feeling out process, I won't give you that chance because I just fight, you know. So that that was my style. Um, I just went at him, you know, and that's yeah, yeah, that's just who I was, really. Does it surprise you that Eddie Wineland is still in the UFC? That's your next opponent. Is he? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was another tricky striker. He's weird. He was such a weird, elusive sort of style. I, I felt, for me, I I 
could beat that guy pretty, you know, easy kind of thing. It was harder to take down. Very, very tricky. It was a split decision. Uh, very close fight yet again. Uh, I haven't watched it back. I think I I thought I won. I believe he dropped me in the first round like a stun knockdown. But then I think the next two rounds, I thought I won. You know, my aggression going forward, landing more shots. I can't remember if I got him down or not. But I thought I won the next two rounds, but I lost split decision. But, you know, uh, and yeah, go yeah again. I lost a split decision to him, and he went on and had a title shot again. So like everyone I kind of lose to, kind of like beats me at that sort of level. It was just getting title shots left, right, and center. You look like you had a broken nose at the end of the second. I've always looked like I got a broken nose. So <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Fair it enough. looks like you have a broken nose now. Yeah, right. I, it does. My nose is like you know, I can smell around corners. But I broke my nose when I was nineteen playing basketball. No, oh, wow. You go into another fight of the night, April 6th, 2013, UFC on Fuel, Mike Easton. Yeah. So you're, you're in war after war after war. Is the thickness of your skull, is it? I, there, have you had it examined? <laughs> Luckily enough, I, I fight a fought for a very good organization who had to get like a consistent brain scan every time. And, and luckily, every time they've done one, they found a brain. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you about the thickness, because you're in war after war. You're not slurring your words. You're, you're no. on point. Yeah. So Mike Easton, another split decision. It was at 135 pounds. He's 13 and two at the time. You're 23 and seven. You had Conan and Mike Brown in your corner. And Dominic Cruz and Eric Del Fiero were with Easton. So another very, very tough opponent. Yeah, I, and also he never got to, uh, he had never been taken down in any of these fights. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah, again, a bit of a rock. He's the first, he was the first opponent actually that put me on the back foot for a little bit, you know, uh, and it made me tired. You know, I never was on my back foot. He, he was the first one who managed to push me back a little bit. Um, it was a war, me and him again, again, like all my fights were anyway. Uh, but then, yeah, I remember out wrestling him as well. And when I, when I, I timed him a few good takedowns, took him down, out wrestled him. Uh, he was a very good high level black belt, apparently. But I didn't see that. I was, you know, I was fine in any positions. He tried to take me back. I shoved him off pretty easy. Yeah, no, it was, it was never a good fight. It was a split decision. For me, yeah. I, it was one of those, there's been split decisions I've won before. And I'm like, ooh, that's close. And this one, I'm like, <laughs> this one, I was like, no. Nah. I won that fight. Yeah, right. I thought it was wrong. Yeah, right. So you go into another fight of the night, August seventeenth, two thousand thirteen, against Michael McDonald. Um, yeah, Michael's fifteen and two. He's out of Oakdale MMA. Um, probably the biggest win of his career. Um, yeah, win with my uh, Michael McDonald. I again, I've gone to fire for. I, I being pretty easily. It was a, t- even though it was, a, it was a tough fight. I remember this though. I remember him throwing a punch and it hitting me, but not landing properly, but it stumbled me as in I just lost balance. And then with that, me losing balance, I, he thought he hurt me. So he started swarming me. Yes. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, leave me alone. I'm not even hurt. What are you doing? But then within all that swarming, then he does actually click me. Then he does drop me, and I does. And then I, I remember being rocked. And it just, I remember it just being a mental first round. 
me going back to my corner laughing. I remember sitting on my stool laughing. I'm like, yep, guys, I know. Yeah, I lost that round. I get it. I get it. Back to the game plan. I'll take him down. And that was it. Right. So the second round side, I went back to what I was meant to do is take him down and grind him a little bit. Took him down, side grinding him, winning the round, feeling quite comfortable. And I, I, I don't know, it's stupid. Sometimes you do stupid things within a fight. I remember being in that fight, winning the winning the, the second round pretty clearly. And I'm like, right, what am I going to do in the third round? Right, I need to do this. And I, I started taking my, my mind off that, that occasion then. I'm thinking about the next round, right? I need to go and take him down again and do to win the fight. And with it there, so he, he threw up a really, I'm giving him props, a really slick triangle, really quick. And then as he did it, he it's a triangle, but he, he armbarred, it was armbarred me straight away. So as he was armbarring me, I remember grabbing my hand and pulling my arm back to save my arm. But as I did that, I put myself more deep into a triangle. And I, then I was just stuck. I'm like, oh my God. And I had to tap. And I was just like, oh my days. I'm like, I was pretty gutted. You know, like, I just, yeah, again, my, just a lapse of concentration at that level, you can't afford to do that, you know? No, he went under a title fight after that as well. Another, yeah, yeah, everyone gets a title shot. He's one of the interesting footnotes in mixed martial arts, turns pro at 16. At, by the age of 22, he's a, he's a, a former world title challenger, and yeah. he's retired and out of the sport by the age of 30. Yeah. I mean, it's just a carpenter now. Today. He's a carpenter now. He was a very good fighter who wasn't a fighter. Trust me. Right. Why do you say when, that? He wasn't, he, he wasn't in his blood to hurt someone or fight you anyway. You're not saying it's in my blood, to, but you've got to have that kind of grit and a fight. Okay. And I, I think he was just really good at the sport, but he didn't enjoy the sport. He, he preferred like his arts and crafts and hunting and that sort of he, that He was more of a farm boy, if you know yeah. what I mean. They can fight. Right. Yeah, okay. they can fight. You know, you know yeah. he's just technically really good, but He's not, he wasn't in it, it. Yeah, you know, he's not like a Chris Lieben, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, you just, you get like, he's just a fighter, you know. Yeah. Or yeah. Silver, 100% just a fighter. If yeah. this sport was around, he'd be fighting. If it wasn't, he'd be fighting somewhere else. He'd be just fighting just right. to fight, you know. <laughs> he, he wasn't like that. He was a, also, he was a very, he was a very religious man as well. A very, 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 like, you know, a very religious Mind Still down. is. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. he's a carpenter now. He's a carpenter. And, you know, to backtrack, Ivan Menjivar is driving a, a city bus. Oh, is he? It's probably the world's toughest bus driver. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, from Michael McDonald, you go, was there bad blood in your next fight, March 8th, 2014, UFC fight night, London against Neil Siri? Um, I want to say bad blood as such, but um, I... I was for an Irish guy, but also it was my first time going down now to 125. Because obviously, I got beat by Michael McDonald. He he, he uh, went on to have a title shot. That was me, yeah, again, losing another chance of getting a title shot in my eyes. I um, Are you frustrated? Yeah, 100%. I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, 
I then go, right, I beat Demetrius Johnson before. He's a 125-pound champion. I'm going to go down a weight class and fight 125 pounds. So I went, it was, wasn't easy for me. I, I, I got pictures on my phone. I remember being six weeks out from my fight, being 6.3% body fat and still being 18 pounds off my weight class. No, like it, it was hard. I had to lose muscle. It, it was, but how I was as a person, I was always competition driven. I always wanted to be number one in the world. And looking back now, I did everything I possibly could to try and be number one in the world. It wasn't for the one of trying. I didn't want to look back at my career and go, well, you know, I didn't want to be sitting here in the office going, you know, guys, you know, if I wanted to and went down a weight class, I reckon I'm going to beat Demetrius. Going to be, I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to try everything possible to try and beat the number one in the world. And that's why I went down to that weight class. And I fought Neil Siri. I was supposed to fight Ian McCall, um, but he, he, he got injured and pulled out of the fight. Then I fought Neil Siri. Neil Siri was from Ireland. And it was always it was a last bad minute replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was always bad blood between England and Ireland. Not on my behalf, but Irish people just don't like English people. Well, not a lot of people like English people for some reason. <laughs> like if you're Scottish, Welsh, Irish, you don't like the English for some reason. Yeah, but yeah. obviously. The like, ruling yeah. class. We'll refer you to them know, as the ruling ancestors class. Back in the day, obviously, <laughs> right. England as a country raped and pillaged most most of the world at one point. You know, so like there's always people that like it. But I'm like, hey, that was not me. It was my ancestors. Leave me alone. You know, but hey ho. Neil Siri is fighting out of Rodney Collins boxing gym. Steve Collins, obviously his brother. Um, yeah. Did you plan on keeping it on your feet this entire fight? Was that the game plan? I never think about keeping any fight on my feet or keeping any fight on the floor. I just fight, you know. So, like, for me, that's what made me a good fighter. I was a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I, I would fight you on the feet. I would fight you on the floor. I would wrestle you. you know, I do everything. I do what I need to do to win a fight, you know. So McGregor was cage side at this jumping up and down out of his seat, cheering for Siri. Yeah. Did you and McGregor have any words? No. It's just the Irish thing. Okay. Yeah, you know, he, obviously he's for an Irish guy. You know, like he, he, if I was, I was fighting a, a different guy, he would have cheered for me. But I was fighting a guy from his hometown, so he's cheering for Neil Siri. He wants Neil Siri to win. You know? I, and do you know what? I don't care. You know, you don't, I don't, of course, if, if there was an English guy cheering for Neil Siri, I'd be like, well, we do it. I'll be, then I'll be like, but of course, yeah, of course. Cheer for his country, course. Man, yeah. So I don't yeah. think, any, like I, said, I don't think nothing like that sort of thing is personally, you know, like, I, yeah. So Siri in the third round was called for an eye poke that affected you. And yeah. in the replay, it looked like it was a clean punch. Yeah. It was. <laughs> it felt like he eye poked me. It went, well, he punched me. But he's like the knuckle part of the thing went right in my eye, and I, I, I just went back like, oh my god, like that kind of thing. Like he blurred my right my eyeball, and I just felt like that. And I went back, and then the ref stopped it. Is it like I'm like, so it was in my eye. And that's it. You know, I, I can't. I I wasn't faking it. I got hit no, in the eye. No, 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 what no. It was, and I, no, had, for sure. You know? If you look at it. If the ref didn't stop it and he come throwing bombs at me, I would have took him down, you know, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so, 
so Ian McCall, you guys fight uh, uh, July 19, 2014. Um, was there bad blood between you two? I knew there was. No, I don't have bad blood between anyone. No. no. Okay, there was Look, a little bit of trash talk, though. I don't think so. I think it was on McCall's side. Yeah, on no, McCall. But that's oh, only, Ian McCall, 100%. Yeah. Oh, about Ian McCall. You're right. This, Ian McCall, I thought you made Neil Siri, right? So when oh. I was supposed to fight Ian McCall first, right? Um, he, he's always been a bit of a mouthy guy. He was always, he was. I always very humble with myself and, and I just keep myself to myself, right? Because me, that I always say this, you know, you be as nice as you can to me, I'm going to go and try and uh, knock your head off. You be really mean to me, I'm going to do the same thing. It doesn't change, right? Right? <laughs> it, so it doesn't matter. So if you want to be a dick, you can be a dick. He, leading up to that, my first fight, we've been a bit of a dick. I'm like, cool. Whatever, I don't mind. I'm not fighting. Whatever, because you know what? I'm gonna get to punch you in the face in in, in, in the octagon. So cool, the way you do as much shit as you want, doesn't matter. I'm gonna get to punch you in the face. Then he pulled out of his fight like with ten days before the fight, wherever it was. And then I'm like, knew it. Then I gave him a bit of shit for pulling out. I'm like, okay, cool. You took all your shit. Now you're pulling out of the fight. You know, and I sent him a, a doctor's note, kind of like <laughs> my friend made over like a doctor's note saying, please wrap yourself in bubble wrap or whatever like that. Pulled out of the fight because his bum went away. Kind of thing like that. So it was a bit of like, then we had a bit of a back and forth. But yeah, again, you could talk, you could talk as much as you want about me, but then you took the opportunity away from me punching in the face. That annoyed me. So like, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's Chel Sonnen's thing. He's like, Anytime I talk smack about somebody, I was always, I always showed up. And there's, you know, a bit of honor that's in it. that. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, if I, if I was going to talk, I mean, Conor McGregor, he talks crap a lot, right? But he was sticking to his weight class. <clears throat> so it's a matter because anyone he talks shit about was normally an opponent or a future opponent. And then they get to fight each other. And there's always redemption there, either way, right? Someone like, um, who else talks a lot of crap? Uh, code, uh, uh, Kobe Covington. He just chats about everyone. You know, like, <laughs> he even goes out of his weight class. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah you're you're just being a dick for being a dick. You know what I mean? So like, for me, <laughs> yeah. So like, true. Yeah. So he's gonna get himself like boomerangs thrown him by like what what do you call it? That, you. They're doing through boomerang him exactly. You deserve that. Stop being an idiot. Stop. Why are you insulting for doing? You know, like so. Hey, do your time at top team. Let, let me real fast. You you mentioned Colby. Do your time at top team. Were you there with like the Masvidal, Colby? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so pick pick a favorite there. Like what what who do you like? Who do you not, not like? What's your intake insight well, on that? I'm really good friends with Masvidal, so I like Masvidal, of course. Uh, Masvidal, I know Masvidal for years, even before the old American top team, before Kobe even came in. Um, Kobe, even in the gym, I got him really well, fine, you know, but I can see he's a bit of a dick, you know, like, you don't, you don't, I don't never judge someone how they treat me, I judge someone how they treat other people, like, if Dana White walked into the room now, everyone in my gym, everyone would be really nice to Dana White, correct? Because it's Dana White. Yeah. It happens, right? So, like, me as well, people treat me nice because I, I guess I'm Brad Pickett and they, they respect me for what, yeah, that's sort of, sure. But I, if you go into a restaurant and there's a waitress there 
and she spills the drink or something, and you give her so much shit for spilling the drink, like, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, you're just being a dick. You know, you're like, I treat how you, I gauge you how you treat other people. You know, like, everyone's going to treat me nice. I treat, I'd see how you treat other people and how you act, like how you treat a fan, you know, a normal fan person. And that's why some fighters, I, I respect really well. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you're a bit of a dick because of how you, how you speak to this fan who wants your picture or an autograph and you're talking to them like that. Then I'm like, uh, you're a bit different. You know? I judge people not how they treat me, how they treat other people. So with Ian McCall, do you think that the, uh, the second low blow that you received was intentional so he could catch his breath? Oh, mate, no, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, well, well I low-blowed him. Well, one of them, I, I, I hit him, mate, like, mate, no, I didn't touch you at all. But he, people just, whatever, I, mean, I don't cry if it's spilled milk, you know, but, so, yeah. yeah. I think I it was done, I think you were breaking him cardio-wise, and he took it to uh, catch his breath. Yeah, remember, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, are you? Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, Chico Camus makes his 130, 125 pound weight uh, debut. And um, I believe here, Ian McCall, you take an L, he goes on to fight for the title. Chico Camus is next. Um, it's going to be a little frustrating for you right now. I won that fight 100%. I mean, I, that's one of those split decisions where I, I won and I didn't get the win. He literally. Should have been sponsored by Nike running shoes because he ran the whole fight. And I do not know how he could win a fight by literally legging it. He ran the whole time. So, yeah. He should have had some running shoe sponsors in that fight because he literally just legged it. He had more laps of that. He must have done a marathon that that day. He was running around that ring the whole time. And for me to win a fight like that, impossible you know like yeah and yeah if I didn't go forward there was no fight you know literally there was no fight so I I I get people being on the back foot but there's got to be something to it you know like you got to do something yeah in my eyes he didn't do anything I do not know to this day how I lost that fight yeah it wasn't surprising when the UFC cut him either I mean he, he kind of fought that way as well you know yeah. very fast but very, very defensive. Thomas Almeida, you re- you're taking eight months off. You returned 135 pounds. Thomas Almeida is on a 19-fight win streak. That is your return to the 135-pound division. I don't think they're doing you any favors at this point. No, they're worse. Because they offered me um, Bruce Leroy first. Okay. Right? And I went, no, I'm not fighting him. Because he's another guy who's gangly, runs around, does weird shit. You know, like, I said, I'm just, I've just been finding these small guys and, like, they just run around, run, don't fight at all. I want someone who's going to fight me and they, oh, we're going to have a fight. So I, I actually turned down Bruce Lee because I'm like, nah, he's too, he just runs away, does weird stuff. Nah, don't want to fight him. Um, so they offered me Thomas Amade. I went, yep, 100%, take that fight. You know? A guy that's on a 19 fight win streak. Yeah. Yeah. But I nearly bingoed him in the first round. You know, like in my eyes, I beat this guy. You know, like I thought he's a good striker. Cool. Let's go. You know? And I also thought I could out wrestle him as well. You know? 
he must have saw something in the tapes because he hit you with a flying knee the first one where you stood right up and you were fine. But he, I, I, no, I don't I know. Mean, I, what it was in that fight is like if we, if we, it was very, very, very clever fight to me. He had loads of different array of strikes, you know, um, very shoot box, shoot the box sort of style, very dangerous with his striking. But, with my slipping and rolling, I was kicking him with overhands, left hooks. So I dropped him, you know. Uh, when I dropped him as well, my instincts, I went for a takedown. Um, and, like, I shouldn't have done, maybe. I should have tried to, like, just finish him on the floor. But I went, you know, he's, I should have kept on just trying to punch him. But, um, uh, and then it was in the second round. I remember me trying to throw a knee. And uh, it was shit. It was, and he was like, oh, I might throw a jumping knee and he'd done it a lot better than me and he landed it, you know. Uh, but it's just well, one sort of Achilles heel to my sort of fighting style because I'm quite low-based with my boxing wrestling sort of style. I'm very, I was very susceptible to people throwing knees at the middle. You saw that against Henan Barrow as well. Uh, it's dangerous, you know, and, and, and I leave myself vulnerable in that aspect. Yeah. So Almeida, I mean... Where are you feeling? You t- you got three losses in a row right now. Did you, were you concerned about getting cut? Yeah, always. But then I'm like, you're fighting the best in the world, though. But then also it was a crazy good fight. You know, like Dana White called me up the next day and said, "Mate, that's an amazing fight." And was, so, but I do understand. But in this sport, it's two things: you need to win, and but also you need to be excited. You can't win every fight and be boring as hell like Ben Askren, because then. You just get lose lose a fight, you get cut. Or John Fitch was another one. You know, he was very good, but very boring with the way he fought. You just get cut when you lose. Or you just be on undercards. Also, you can't be the most exciting fighter in the world and keep losing because it makes no sense. So you have to have that balance, you know. So I, Jerry I, I, Stevens. I, yeah. it, in my eyes, it was like, ah, yeah, dangerous, you know. And then that's when, uh, obviously, my, my next fight, for me, it was a very important fight for me. Francisco Rivera is your next fight, February 27, 2016, and the yeah. Silva Bisping undercard. Yeah. You're a lot smaller than, than Rivera. I didn't put on – going back up to 135, I never bought the – I went going down to 125, but I lost muscle. I never put muscle back on going back up to 135. Yeah, you, you were a lot smaller. They were saying that you were having issues getting fights at 25. Was that the reason that you went up? No, I went back up to 125. Before when I fought Chico Camus at 125, and I lost that decision. In my eyes, he shut that door for getting a title shot. So I'm like, what's the point of me killing myself going down to 125? I'll go back up to 135 and fight there, which that's why I did. Yeah, you uh, you had such a dominant third round after struggling with the first two. Well, yeah, for, for, for me, yeah, again, it's one of those. I won, I won a split decision. Yeah, it's you won a split. Those, yeah, for me, I could have lost that fight. You know, um, I lost the first round. Right, I've watched this fight a few times now. I lost the first round because I got dropped again. Right, the second round. Even now, I'm like, I do not know who won that round. I have no clue. It's close. Third round, I won. So to me, it's how you scored that second round. It was such a close round. 
I do. I, even now, I could not pick it. You know, I don't know who won that round. So, as we again, it was one of those split decisions. I could have argued we lost that fight. You know, so so like I see, sometimes you win them, sometimes you lose them. You know. No, for sure, for sure. And, and you know, it's it's all up to the judges. Luri Alcantara is your next bout, but then you roll into Uriah Faber, December seventeenth, two thousand sixteen. Uriah yeah. Faber is an absolute savage, and Brad, the last minute of the third round. No, as in like for me, go go back one before that. I fought Yuri Alcantara, right? Okay. So I fought Yuri Alcantara. I had a really long training camp, stupidly long with that one. I was supposed to fight a guy called Henry Henry Bronas. He had now ended up pulling out on my, me three times in a row, right? You know, I was supposed to fight before Francisco Rivera. He pulled out. I fought Francisco Rivera. Then, okay, right. I scheduled to fight Henry Bronas again. I was supposed to fight Henry Bronas. He pulled out again. I fought Yuri Alcantara, right? So I took Yuri as a replacement. I was supposed to fight uh, Henry Bronas in um, in uh, the last Germany, fight in Germany, right? Uh, oh. And then uh, he got injured. They put my fight back to find the Manchester card. So I was in a really long, stupid training camp away from my family. I now just had a, uh, a son called Buddy. Uh, he was born. And I, it, for me, it just sucked ass, right? Um, now, morning in England time, because they they, 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 they uh, had a fight in England, but they wanted it to be a pay-per-view card because it was Dan Henderson versus... Um, um, Michael Bisping. Michael so Bisping, it, yeah. Yeah, so we, I fought stupidly late at night. Uh, and then um, I uh, I uh, uh, took that, I had that fight, didn't even get to throw a punch, got winded straight away with a front kick. Then he threw a spinning back elbow, dropped me, and then me surviving and all that, he then ended up getting triangle choked. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with the sport. Uh, that's me done. Then next time I fight, Will be in the because always come back to uh, always come back to London in March. I said when they come back to London in March, I'm gonna have my last fight. I'm retiring. I'm done. I'm finished with the sport because right? it just sucked. Uh, the, in between that, I got a phone call from um, Shelby saying, "Hey, look, Brad, up to you. Do you want to fight Uriah Faber? You know, he he that was his retirement fight as well. He says um, he's having his retirement fight. Would you like to fight him? And I'm like." Yeah, of course. I'll fight you. I favor doing, you know, it'd be an honor for me to it's fight someone like that. Yeah. yeah, of course. I, I love them. And like in my head, no matter what happens, I'm done anyway in in um in a in a March next year. So in between I'll fight him, cool. I'll have a fight, cool. And that's it. For me, fighting the UI favor under distant different circumstances, I believe I could have been. I, a five-round fight, you win that bout. But for me, how how it was, mindset going into the fight, because I just got beat by Yuri Alcantara so quick and, and like him, I went into that fight not, not to win. I thought went in there not to lose. So I, I was quite, I mean, like, it took me some time to go into the fight, but I was very defensive. You know, like, I didn't want to get, you know, this, that, I mean, like, I was very defensive within the fight. I was defending all the things he was doing. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I need to be a bit more offensive. And then I got, got back into the fight being a bit more offensive. But for me, my it was my mindset. I felt like if I was going into that fight on a two-fight winning streak or something like that, I would have beaten him because of confidence. You know, so you have to understand 
fighting is very mental as well as physical. Yeah. You, you've got to have the right mindsets going into fights. Uh, and, and timing's very important. I, I, I think the timing of that fight, me, me being in the mental state, I was uh, played against me. I obviously I lost that decision. You know, to even be asked to have your life, like for your eye favors retirement fight as yourself, that, that is absolutely quite an honor as well. Yeah. Um, I think if it's a five round fight I, in the last minute, you had him in trouble. The obviously the calf kicks, um, you were having you were struggling a little bit with those. Um, but at the end of the day, your retirement bout is in March. Henry Briones once again pulls out. Has he ever reached out to you in regards to this? Uh, I don't know. He's pulled out me three times. <laughs> three times. So they bring in Marlon Chito Vera, who's obviously, yeah. you know, a top contender today. Um, and they have to make the fight at 140 because it's so last minute. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, I'm just happy I got a fight, you know. Um, but Marlon Vera is a good fight as well. I, in my eyes, I was beaten in the whole fight, right? In the third round, I got caught with that head kick and dropped me. Uh, and even to this day, I'm like, I got stopped too early. I was fine. I was rocked, but in my eyes, like, I dropped hard. But if you look at, you know, those sort of things, I would pretty good at recovering from and like with the map with the I know you shouldn't take this into account but you, you maybe my last fight me winning the whole fight winning two and a half rounds of the fight to get dropped the flash knocked down to not let me try and fight out of it was a bit criminal I thought you know but yeah again it also solidified my reasons for retiring because I got dropped by a head kick but back in the day you know old me would end like a biscuit you'd ate it like a biscuit, it would have been like, like you know, nice, cool, give me some more of that. But then, to, like I say, but towards the end of my career, I was getting dropped by everyone, like Frank, everyone with Thomas Ameda, uh, Francisco Rivera, you, I think even you, I, Faber, stubbed me. Everyone was so I'm like, there's something going wrong here. My armor is not there anymore, what I used to rely on. It's, this is time for me, definitely time for me to leave the sport. Did you think of that at night? Would that like you getting dropped with that replay in your head when you were alone? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm like, of course, and, uh, I think before, like I say, my granite chin was a massive, valuable string to my bow. Now that's kind of gone. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm now I'm a bit vulnerable. Now I need to be careful with the getting hit. And it just took away my fighting style. You know, I, my fighting style wasn't about being cautious. It's about going forward and throwing bombs. When I had to be cautious, I never fought how I, I didn't fight how I wanted to fight. Wow. Wow. Uh, referee Brett Waterman was your first and last referee. Was that your request? No, that was just by chance. Really? Yeah. Do you have any regrets? Um, no. For me, uh, yeah, again, being cliche, I don't have any regrets because whatever's happened within my life is made me who I am today and I'm very happy of my version of myself so uh, I'm very content I, I say going back I tried everything I can to be number one in the world um, 
I've no regrets. Like I say, you know, everything has made me who I am today. So I'm, I'm happy. I, when I look in the mirror in the morning, I see this beautiful face, and I'm like, I'm happy with who I, who I am. So I have no regrets. You know, Brett, I, I have to say, like, you're one of the few people that can sit in front of us and say, no, 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 I absolutely did everything I could, as you had explained earlier, in order to connect the dots to win a world title. It just, it just didn't come your way. But there's so many people that can just say, well, if I would have, if I, you know, if this would have happened or that would have happened. I didn't want to be that guy, you know. It's, you see in the pubs and that. Like, oh, you know, when I was younger, I was this, I was that, you know. But then I got into drugs and women. And then I, if I didn't do that, I could. Well, I didn't want to be that guy, you know. You know, telling, telling, everyone, everyone's met that guy, right? Everyone has met that guy, you know. I would have, should have, could have, you know, if I could have done this, if I did that. Uh, mate, uh, I, I look at those guys and I'm like, shut up. And I didn't want to be that guy myself. I respect the hell out of that, man. Yeah. So, Brad, oh, here, top three people that hit you the hardest. Mike Brown. John Lineker. That's it. Who would you say your hardest opponent was? No, I mean I don't don't have a high okay, hardest kind of fights where it was a bit of back and forth. Scott Jorgensen and Ivan Manjavar were two. Uh, Scott Jorgensen, Ivan Ivan Manjavar, and Mike Easton were battles where my like, oh my god, these these are like grueling fights. You know, they're they're, they're the free ones. Wow, uh, Miguel. Uh, thank you very much, Brad. That's awesome, man. I, you know, no worries, my guys. Thanks for having me on again. We've been trying to track you down for a minute. We're glad you came through, Brad. You're an absolute gentleman, yeah. man. Absolute gentleman. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. And, and you, you may not have gotten to that world title, that number one spot, but I think you can firmly say in your heyday you were a top five dude. And oh, you know, top three, special in and of itself. I know you realize that too, and you're grateful. So that's what makes it nice. Just a charming interview, man. Thank you. But, Brad, have you, you ever thought was I don't think I know there's a fight pass for cage warriors. I don't think your country proper has a fight pass deal. Have you thought about doing your own promotion for them? I, I did. I, my, I did have my own promotion called Rise of Champions. Right, it was a very good show, uh, but then it was on. I put my show on hold until I got my gym up and running. So if you want, I can give you a little tour of my gym for two seconds. Yeah, let's see it, dude. Yeah, for right. sure. So let me try. Because I know Cage Warriors comes to your country as well, but they're an Irish based promotion. No, Cage Warriors um, is a, Cage Warriors is an English um, company. So I, I'll give you a tool. So if this, we've got my cam stop video, kind of reverse it. There. So like, you'll come upstairs. Here's reception. Hello. Okay. This is Olga. Oh, you even have somebody there. That's very She's good. Buyer, yeah. I just very uh, good. Like a little, little shop. You have all the merchandise in. We walk through here. This is like locker rooms here, uh, cleaning room there. We have a look. Uh, okay. Um, a few, uh, well-being suite here, which is like treatment rooms here. For we have a physio who's in here. But right, then this is mat number one here. Got my sign on the window there. If I go here as well, this is like every show that I fought on is the poster. 
Uh, that's my UFC debut. That's my thought Conor McGregor's card in, against Thomas Almeida. That one, I think it was against Mike Easton. So yeah, there's all all my all my posters. Is uh, here's the physio guy, Uma. Uh There's my logo there. Then we got here. This is still not finished. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a proper bag in bag area here. Got a couple of things here at the moment, but not this. This is gonna be like a proper bag area. Uh, this is a 25 foot um, cage here. Another little big bag here. We have a boxing ring here. This is like a little mini American tap team. And then you go around here. This is Matt space number two. Oh this my is God. Like, this is caged in. It's like a caged in Matt space. Like that. See, it's all caged in. See, here, so if I go in there, so it's a cage match space here. Down here, got some memorabilia on the wall here from some of my Cage Warriors fire champions, world champions I have. I've got three there. Uh, this is gorgeous. Here. Let me walk in here and now we're in a in the gymnasium. This is a strength and coach. Liam, hello. One of these fires. What about here? So it's like... Yeah, uh, we also have our own punch machine. Give it a go. Punch machine here, and then you walk back around here, and then it's back to the beginning. So it's like, back a, to the like beginning. a big O donut shop. Here's some memorabilia. Here's every show off one's gloves. So I have AFC, Bodog, Cage Rage, WC, and UFC. Uh, we've got some belts from our Cage Warriors champion guys. This is my show. This is one of our guys' champions. My bare-knuckle boxing match uh, belt here. My cage rage belt. Cage warriors belt here. And this is Mars Vidal's BMF belt. A replica, obviously, but from him. More, more memorabilia. I just have to show this part here, actually. So here's my, my fight shorts and stuff from Carl Diaz from the WC debut. This is... Mike Brown shorts when he knocked out Uriah Faber to win the WC belt. That's uh, awesome. This is, uh, yeah, my shorts in uh, against Francisco Rivera. Uh, this is my, the boxing coach. He's fast asleep on the couch, waving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's Chanel, another young fire over there. She's waving as well. But yeah, and this is it. And I go back in the go, go back to my office where we were in. This is my how, office. How many, mem- how many members do you have? Fighters, we have a lot of fighters, but members, I think, we've only been open. Um, let me turn this back around. Oh, here's my, my vicious guard dog, Bonnie. Oh, Hello, Bonnie. <laughs> um, we've only been open since, like, February this year. So um, I think we've got, like, 180 members, normal members of me. Wow. That's awesome, man. No, that's that's wow. a state of the art facility, man. Are you are you paying rent in London, man? That's kind of running you like twenty thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't talk to me about the numbers. Not yet. Yeah, man. So, but it's the thing. I've been which, I've been in the game for such a long time, right? So I kind of know what you need as a fighter to to try and succeed, and I, I and I got it here. I have world class facilities, as you can see. I have world-class coaching. 
uh, me and, and my other coaches. And we also have world-class athletes that already train here. This is the ingredients you need. But I say to everyone who comes here, that doesn't make you a world-class fighter. You still need to have that get up and go and uh, um, the right sort of mindset, uh, the grind uh, and the hustle to make it within the sport. We have everything that can help you, but yet in the day you need, you need, I can't make you get out of bed and get yourself into the gym on a daily basis. That's on you and stuff like that, you know? So you're really making a name for yourself. You're all in. Well, you, you trained at American Top Team, one of the greatest gyms in the entire world. Yeah. Obviously. Are you an ATT affiliate? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like the, the logo is, uh, we're actually called, and it did come if I didn't even show you. So we're actually uh, Great Britain Top Team. <laughs> Fantastic. You see the logo, it's actually a silhouette of me wearing my hat. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Excellent. Brad, thank you so much, man. We appreciate, no you. Worries, appreciate your time, man. Take Enjoy care, buddy. You too. Okay. Be good. Well, Lights Out Podcast, another deep dive in the books. Always good to talk to Brad Pickett over in London, obviously. Um, we've done a deep dive with him about the early part of his career already. You should check out the archives, you know, hit like, subscribe, do all that stuff, especially if you didn't catch the first Brad Pickett one. Uh, great stories, great, you know, just a good guy too. And uh, a pioneer in, in, in his weight class, especially in Europe and things. And good to see here at the end, man, that walk through his gym is was something special. He's got an amazing gym, London, like I said, not cheap. He's, he, you know, he danced around and we don't need to get into exact figures and stuff, but he's putting a lot into that gym. There's a lot going in there. Um, hopefully fighters go in there and get a lot out of it. I do believe, like he said, um, for MMA, you're, you're going to be dealing with some world-class instruction there. So very glad to catch up with Brad Pickett. Got another British guy in the books. Uh, still working on, you know, future interviews list. Keep us, in the comments, keep giving us suggestions and stuff. We like to go old school and, uh, you know, pick it a little taste of the modern too, but, you know, an old school guy, but uh, he kept his career going long enough. And, uh, you know, we'll see what we do for an encore. Thanks to everybody. Uh, like, share, subscribe. Chris Lytle says hi. He'll be back out here with us after a while. And uh, Mike's on the road this week too. So they made me do this. Hey, I don't even like doing it. Anyway, thanks guys. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.